All right, everybody, Josh Smith here uh, at my studio, live from Flat 5 again. And my guest today is one of my good friends and one of my favorite guitar players in the world, favorite musicians, quite honestly, one of the best improvisers in the world, in my opinion, the great Oz Noy. Um, I've been listening to Oz for a long time, and luckily we became friends over the years and have hung and played a little bit. Uh, Oz is from Israel, but living in New York now. He's an amazing I don't even want to say jazz. He's an amazing guitar player and musician who comes from blues and jazz and rock. And, you know, he doesn't just do his own thing. He does sessions. He's, he does all sorts of stuff in New York. But he's just a tremendous musician. If you haven't heard him yet, check him out. But, Oz, thank you so much for coming, dude. Thank you for having me. Dude, so I've been a big fan for a long time. Um, and I've been a big a fan of, of yours for a long time, too. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. So. I'm, I know a little bit of your story, but for the people who don't, tell me about, you know, your start in Israel and how the guitar ended up in your hands the first time. Well, I, I, I think when I was at the age of 10, I wanted to learn drums. I guess I was listening to stuff on the radio. I mostly listened to the Beatles and Israeli pop stuff, you know, and then I wanted to play drums. My mom actually already got a drum teacher for me because I was hitting pots and pans. And then I don't know why it happened, but a friend of mine was studying guitar and he says like, hey, come check out my guitar lesson. And he took me there, I was 10 years old. And I started learning guitar. And I actually clearly remember that it didn't really made an effect on me. Like I remember not really liking to practice and stuff in the beginning, right. you know? So I don't know why I stick with it. I think what happened was, um, <clears throat> A little after I started playing guitar, my brother started playing bass and he was five years older than I am. So he was kind of like, um, you know, kind of beginning of high school maybe. So him and his friend started a band and his friend was actually a more advanced guitar player. He used to come to our house and he used to show me songs, the chords. And once he started playing like Beatles songs and all that stuff, I was like, okay, I can hang with this. So that's kind of got me in. And then I played nylon, I played like, you know, classical, horrible classical nylon guitar, but just trying to play strong chords. And then my dad bought me a pickup that you kind of glue on the guitar, one of those kind of really awful shit. But once I plugged it into my brother's bass amp and started to make some noise, I was like, okay, I guess there's something here that can work. <laughs> so that's wow. pretty much it, yeah. Well, did um did your parents play anything? No, nobody. My, my brother started, the reason I kind of started, it's not the reason why I started playing, but the reason I started playing jazz and get into jazz is because my big brother is the same thing. Is early, early on, he started bringing jazz records home. I don't know why, but it was kind of bizarre. He started to bring like Chick Corea and, I don't know, Aldin Yola and Kid Jared and stuff. So... It was kind of an obvious thing for me that I have to study jazz. I, I, I don't think I even, I'm not sure if I even liked it that much. You know, I remember hearing this one George Benson record that I really liked because it was, you know, it was a shredder, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, well, I mean, so then what, what kind of music did your parents listen to? What was being played in the house? Beatles they weren't listening to, it was just radio. There was nothing they okay. listened to. Okay. I, right. Everything I listened to was all kind of coming from my brother, really, you know? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So then, and then what was I, the I, first thing that grabbed you? 
Like uh, you said, you remember Chick Corea. Was that that's the first stuff you remember, jazz wise, hearing that that type of stuff? Aldi Miola. Yeah, McLaughlin. Yeah, I re- You know what I remember? I remember. I think the first live jazz show I ever went to see. Second one, but the first international one was McLaughlin came to Israel with. I think it was with Jonas Heldberg, the bass player. Yeah. And they did a duo. And I remember, because he plays so fast, I remember coming out of there like, man, I want to play that fast. And, you know, one of the records actually influenced me the most at the time growing up was Sunday Night in San Francisco. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's the record with McLaughlin and Aldemiola and Paco de Lucia. But you're talking about me at the age of 10 or 11, you know? So, but obviously your brother was bringing home fusion. He, he liked fusion stuff. <laughs> Well, no, no, chick. The st- it wasn't f- uh, some of it, but it wasn't really fusion. Like the chick stuff was the jazz stuff. Okay, Keith, all right. Jared all right. was jazz. Well, it was. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like I actually was the one. I think that discovered the electric band. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. All right. All right. Yeah. Does your brother still play? No, but uh, he used to. When did yeah. he give it up? <laughs> A long time ago. He's a scientist. He's much smarter than both of us together. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so then you're playing. When do gigs start to enter the picture for you? Pretty quick because I think when I was um, maybe 11 or 12, I could already play. I think a year after I started to play electric guitar, you know. So at the end of 11, I started playing electric guitar. And then I wanted to start a band. So... Somehow I got hooked up with a drummer kid and we hooked up with another guy and we formed like a, a kid's band. So by the age of 13, I had a kid's band and we had a musical director that was right, like a producer that was writing the songs. And so it was pretty funny, but we were kind of okay. And we started to play in army bases in Israel as like kids, you know? So that was the first gigs. I did. And actually, the first recording sessions I did was at that age, too. And what were the tunes like? Well, we played, like, I remember we played some cover, like, we played Hello, the Lionel, Lionel Richie song, and I remember yeah. I had to play yeah, the absolutely. solo. <laughs> but then I, other stuff, it was just like singer-songwriter stuff. It was original, you know? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, so, kind of, so this dude just found you guys and put together a kid I don't, band? Yeah, or? somehow. You know, like in cities, you have music schools and people yeah. that, you know, so they're somehow connected, you know, it's very weird. You know, you want to hear something really weird? My city is, I live in the suburbs of Tel Aviv. That's where my family's from. It's not, it's, it's a big city, but it's not like the main one. Mm-hmm. And in my city, the the, the the drummer Tal Bergman yeah is from my city a few blocks away from me literally and the the drummer near Z the guy he's in Nashville is a very you know uh, successful drummer there he's in from my city too and we're all kind of in the same me and Tal are in the same neighborhood although they're older than I am so the three of us kind of came out of that same place wow wow that's crazy, pretty weird man. and yeah. how much I mean, at that point, you didn't have internet yet, you know, so how much music were you even able to get your hands onto? Was it difficult to find, to yeah. buy stuff? It wasn't difficult to buy stuff, but it, like you could go to stores and buy music, but the, you, they had to import a lot of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, it was one of those things where whatever they imported, they imported 
I was able to get. In Israel, it seems like people really like jazz, like straight ahead jazz. So there were people that I remember growing up with that had like, like walls and walls of vinyls with jazz records, you know? So to find the jazz records was easy, but to find, I remember when Scott Henderson released his first solo album, I had to have a friend of mine go to New York and bring it to me. You know, it was like this thing, you know? Or like the first, uh, you know, that first, first or second Stern records, you know, yeah. those things were hard to find at the time in Israel. Dude, even in America, I would have to go to the record store and order them so they would get them yeah. for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah, I remember when, when I first found Danny Gatton, they had one record I found by luck. And then I had to go and they had like a catalog that I could go through this catalog yeah. and say, order me this, 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 and this. And then, yeah. yeah. When I missed CD that. Started, when CD started to come around, there was a guy that started a store in Tel Aviv. And I remember... He had all the Shrapnel records, you know? Oh, so yeah. I would go and look at a catalog and say, hey, can we get this? Can we get that? <laughs> Cacophony, man. Yeah. Cacophony, yeah, baby. <laughs> of course. Okay. And you know, the first Eric Gale's records was great, too. Yeah, well, Eric I remember, I remember, you know? Yeah, he, Eric was, I mean, he came out on, he had a major label deal as a kid, you know, as a 16-year-old. 17 or 16 or something, yeah. you know? And uh, yeah. yeah, that that stuff's great. You know, I I you know, so I was just producing his record along with Joe, and I yeah. mean, I had a picture of Eric I ripped out of my guitar player magazine on the wall in my room because he was like, I'm 40, he's 47 or 46, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. like not that big of an age difference. And it was was it was like, look, it's attainable. He's a kid and yeah. he's playing blues rock, and it, you know, like I could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um. So okay. So then. You were into jazz kind of through your brother. You started learning jazz. When when did you get into any blues? When when did blues become a thing that you were listening to? Um I um so we both kind of same age. So we both grew up in the 80s. So when I grew up in the 80s, I was completely schizophrenic. In one hand, I was learning bebop, like completely, like you know, like Charlie Parker, Wes Montgomery. In the other hand, I was totally into shred. Mm -hmm. like Steve Vai, Satriani, Greg Howe, all those guys. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point I was introduced to Stevie Ray Vaughan. That was in the late 80s. And then that's how I started between that and Eric Johnson. You know, I started to get into, it wasn't quite blues yet, but it was more like that, you know, in Clapton, it was more in that genre. And then once I started to, try to imitate Steve Ray, then I realized that I have to, I somehow figure out between listening to some, uh, reading some articles or listen to some interviews that you gotta learn the blues, like, you know, like you gotta go to the roots, you know, Albert King, Freddie King, B.B. King, all those guys. So maybe in the early 90s, 90s, I started to get into the blues. I never got into the blues, like, like like I got into jazz. It was always something that I knew that's important and I always listened and tried to learn from, but it wasn't like my main language. It still isn't. I wish it was, right. but, you know. Yeah, but you have a, a way of playing uh, jazz that doesn't, you know, there, there's this weird thing with modern jazz where it's devoid of blues in a lot of ways, like completely blues -less, And I have a hard time listening to that. And, 
you you know you always keep enough in there but not only that when you go to the blues well you have like a, a little bit of uh, you know some authenticity and at least authority to it where you know a lot of times you can tell when guys have just spent no time playing blues at all yeah. you know well i got you know i tried to get as deep as i could into it but you know the, the thing that's interesting about it is most of the guys that i like are guys that able that were able to mix blues and jazz together. To me, like bebop and blues is like the glue to everything. So, right. like for example, Schofield, he basically is, a, you know, whether it's rock or blues, it's, I call rock players blues players for that, you know. But, but it's like he basically took blues and rock, blues and, and bebop and mixed it and they became Schofield. Stern did exactly the same thing, but right. just in a different way. Scott Henderson did the same thing, but mm -hmm. in a different way. You know, Pep Matheny is the only guy that I don't think he ever got that much into the rock aspect. He's got a little bit of blues, but, you know, but Frizzell is the same thing, to my opinion. Like, all those guys that we love that kind of have that kind of vocabulary, it's all different ways of mixing blues and rock, to my and blues and jazz, to my opinion, you know? I, no, 100%. That's the stuff that I enjoy listening to the most you know it, it has to have at least some element of that in there the the swing from the bebop and the the, yeah. the phrasing the feel the heart from the blues you know it, it has yeah. to abercrombie I, I can keep going with names even yeah with the young generation is a little less of it to my opinion but it's still it's still there you know yeah. um when did uh when did you get like your first great what was your first great guitar like a quality instrument um well quality and great is a whole other thing <laughs> okay what was your first like decent guitar then i had a i had an i, I can't i you know my first decent guitar was a Charvel. okay all right yeah yeah i had an ibanez roadstar before but that was kind of a it was a cheapish guitar, but um, it was a Charvel. But you know, actually, after I sold the Charvel, I started to buy Fender guitars. So that's when I started to understand a little bit more about tone and stuff like that. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. And then, when did you move to New York? When When did you decide to take that plunge? You know. Well, I was 24 when I moved to New York, which was 24 years ago. Um, right. Well. By the time I was 24, I kind of done a lot of stuff in Israel from, you know, I played in a house band for a really big TV show. I did a bunch of records for people. I played with a bunch of those. I was a sideman there, you know, I played all those pop singer songwriter gigs there with all the famous, a lot of the famous guys. So I've done a bunch of stuff and I always does, done jazz gigs there through my whole life. There's somehow there was some kind of, there's always, there was always some gig, so I was always playing jazz. And at, that, at, that, at some point, uh, a bunch of my friends started to move to New York, and I was actually the last one to go because my friend moved a few years before me. But once I had enough guts to do it, I just went up and did it. You know, it was 96. And that's did you pretty even much... know where you were going? Did you go, like, visit first and look at apartments? No, no, no. I... No, I, I went straight to New York, but I had three or four friends of mine that moved a few years before me and they were doing really well in the jazz scene here. 
like you know the the bass player Avishai Cohen, and there's a bass player now Omar Avital, and there's a few other guys. They were they were kind of mixing into the jazz scene here. So I went like, wow, they're doing pretty good, and some other people start to go. So when I came here, I already had some some of my good friends were already here, you know. Right. Um, and did did you think you were going to focus on straight ahead when you moved to New York? Was that like your plan? Like I'm going to dive deep, even deeper into straight ahead or? No, because I was, I didn't know what I was going to do because I was always doing both. I always done, I've been doing sessions and segment stuff since I'm like literally 15 years old, you know? Right. So I always loved that. And I played jazz cause I don't know that interests me and I like it. But so when I moved here, I basically just moved to just do whatever I could do. Really, I didn't I didn't care if I would play jazz or actually well, actually to be totally honest, I wanted to do it all. I wanted to play everything, you know, like See, I that's did cool because it's the cliche is so many guys moved to New York because oh it's the only place where I could play straight ahead every night and I'm gonna this will focus on being the straight ahead guy. Yeah. It, it's cool that you knew you knew that that wasn't your only thing, you know. You you just want yeah to well, it's, it's, i'm so, lucky that it wasn't my only thing otherwise i would have been i don't know <laughs> probably back <laughs> home <laughs> you know yeah man i didn't realize you've been there 24 years already mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah it was just 24 years now yeah the way you're you're yeah. used to the winners now you're totally used to it you never get used to the winners. <laughs> <laughs> they always suck always man always all right, let's yeah, let's a, get into my, to my ten questions. Ooh, all right, all right. I'm, don't worry, I won't stump you. <laughs> okay. When when you first started learning and playing, what was like the first lick, song, idea that when you figured it out and got it under your fingers, you were like proud of yourself, but also it like set that hook, like, oh my god, I can't believe I I learned this. It's the coolest thing ever. That's it. I'm done. This is what I'll do for the rest of my life. Do you remember anything well, like that? I remember, I don't remember any licks, but I remember specifically going to my brother's friend that was a guitar player and he showed me the pentatonic scale and that blew me away. I was like, oh, he showed me all the five shapes oh, and I was yeah. like, whoa, I can now improvise. That was the, you know. That's, it's, it, it doesn't matter how old it, how old it is. How many times? I mean, it's everybody's got that moment of just like, wait a minute, this works on everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Oh man. Well, what was the first solo you ever learned of somebody else's note for note? Or maybe you didn't ever, ever do it. I don't know. I can't remember exactly. I remember Sultans of Swing. I, oh, I would yeah. try to play. Yeah, like this thing. I don't even know how to do it now, but. Uh, uh, I remember trying to do that for years. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah, still I remember can't that do too. Apparently. It's actually hard to do even with the fingers. It's yeah, the way weird. he picks it is crazy. Yeah. 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 Man, well th that was big for me because he wasn't just playing pentatonics all through that solo, but he also yeah. wasn't doing anything complicated, but it was a clear thing as a kid of hearing Oh, he's outlining the chords. I could hear it so clearly, you know, on those chords of the song. Like, oh, he's just playing like through those chords. It wasn't jazz, but it was like, oh, it wasn't just blues either. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I remember. You that. know, I have a funny story related to that. 
One of the first jazz records I listened to was some George Benson record. I don't know what it is, but it had a version of Take Five in it. Okay. And George played some really crazy, like fast out stuff there. So I remember as a kid trying to transcribe it or to play like that, but my ear couldn't understand this, the, the out note, the notes that were out of the scale. So I thought he detuned his guitar. So I tried to detune my guitar to get it, you know? So, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I know, like well, your ear couldn't hear anything that wasn't in the key, in the scale. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really wow. weird. Yeah. All right. What's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Or like when you try out a guitar when you're in a store, do you have a thing that your hands just go there automatically? Yeah, you know what I do? I'm the lamest freaking guy when it comes to that. I do this. <laughs> oh, I do it with my fingers. That's what I do every time. Dude, well, I mean, mine's changed over the years. So it used to be an E thing. And the, and the guys would make fun of me at gigs because I'd turn on my amp and I'd go. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. But now it's in G. <laughs> now I go. <laughs> but it's every time. But somehow it modulated over the years. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so that's all. Actually... When we play Will Willie, the bass player, he always laughs at me because of that. He always goes like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's always interesting, like, especially like when you go in a store to try a guitar, you play you, your most you shit because you want to see if this guitar works for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. When when did you feel like you started to find your voice? Was there like a technique or a moment when you played a solo or something happened where you felt like, you know what? I'm starting to find like my sound and I, I should go further down this path. Well, I don't, I, I don't think I ever felt like I found my voice, uh, but I do remember one very um, crucial moment that made a big thing for me. When I moved to New York, I moved with, I moved here with my Strat. I had a reissue 62 Strat and I had a 335 jazz guitar. Not 335, 175, sorry. Oh, okay. And I never liked playing hollow body guitars. It just didn't react. It just didn't work for me. And I remember trying to go and sit in at Smalls or one of those clubs or, or play a gig with that. And I sounded like a bad version of like Pete Bernstein or Kurt Rosenwinkel. It was just not happening to me. It's just like, it wasn't like my instrument. And yeah. I remember... And then at some point I started to play with Gavin DeGraw, the pop singer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I started playing with him when he just moved to New York, like when he was discovered. So for two years, we, so what happened, we started to do this gig in, a, in this, in this um, um, club pretty close to my house and I needed an acoustic guitar. So I went to Rudy's and I took my 175 and I traded it for a Jumbo Guild. And that was the most significant thing in my life because once that was once I got rid of the hollow body guitar I only had a strat and I realized okay I have to play whether I'm playing jazz or blues or rock or anything it's all going to be with that sound on a strat and actually remember 
going to do some gigs with it. In the beginning, I was like, oh, what am I doing with this? But then it just kind of worked out. But I got to say that when I was doing that, it was not like now there's a lot of people that play strats or like solid body guitars and they play jazz with it. When I did it, it was in the late 90s. It wasn't still that popular. You wouldn't see like strat people, guys playing. So I think that was the most significant thing to my stylistic development, let's say, put it like that. Well, it's interesting. We all find that moment where we realize uh, it doesn't matter what the rules, the pre, you know, the preconceived rules. Yeah. It's like, just follow what you think is right for you, you know, yeah. and, and keep going further down that path. It, this is not instrument related, even though, like you said, instruments can influence the path. But I remember clearly with Robin Ford at first as a blues fanatic, I didn't love Robin right away because yeah. he didn't bend enough strings and he wasn't yeah. aggressive enough for me. And then I heard him play on the Jimmy Witherspoon and Charlie Musselwhite stuff, playing more blues, like straight blues. Yeah. And it became clear to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. He loves and respects blues as much as anybody. So it's stupid of me to question, oh, is this guy authentic enough? No, no, no. It's more accurate now. Like, I should be thinking the same way he does. It's okay to play this other stuff and still be a blues musician and bring these things in. And that was important for me to like realize it was okay to have other influences and start to play other things and not be afraid I was gonna lose blues. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's cool, man. I, I like that story. All right, what what's your biggest weakness? Mine is acoustic guitar sessions, but especially like really pretty, finger-picked or arpeggiated acoustic guitar that's my kryptonite so like what what's oh, your biggest finger picking the same finger picking yeah oh, oh not yeah. even just finger picking but also even just like picking but like really pretty arpeggiated acoustic do 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 like like dean parks does so well or guys like that i'm terrible i'm okay like, yeah. i'm okay with that i think i think my weakness is first of all first of all I read, but I read mediocrely, so I can hang, and I can even hang in complicated sessions, but I'm not good at it. And over the years, my focus goes away. So that's one weakness. I'm, re I'm fast with grabbing what I need to grab, but it's, that's, that's a weakness that I would love to fix. But I think my, my, my weakness that I've been working on is just finger picking is the hardest thing to do, especially when you have to play like, a medium tempo finger picking acoustic or nylon that stuff is just the hardest yeah you know yeah it's just a discipline that i never spend any time on you know what i mean you have to like, do it yeah you have to practice i've been practicing nylon string like classical guitar that helps but if you don't do it on a regular basis you just don't have it Oh, dude, and when you're in the studio and, you know, you finish the track and then they want the, okay, now do the acoustic track. And it's something like that, like kind of intricately picked. And the microscope yeah. is on. You got a compressor on <laughs> your acoustic guitar. And it, it's like everything sounds so squirrely, you know? It, yeah. It's like yeah. I don't ever sweat with an electric guitar, but with acoustic guitar, I'm sweating a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get what? stiff on it when I play finger picking. Really? I, you know, what do you mean by stiff? I mean, like, I get stiffer. Like, I, I got to focus and I got to yeah. try to relax, which never happens when you play electric. Well, that's the way I, I feel that way, too, when I have to read in general. Because I, I would say you probably read better than me, but I, I'm similar. I can read okay, 
But if it starts to become like a lot of single note stuff, I'm going to get lost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, yeah. Uh, all right. Who's a huge influence on your playing that people would be surprised to hear? Oh, wow. Good uh, question. Uh, who's a big... Um, well, I, I would say to people, I don't know if it's going to be so surprising, but Jim Hall and Pep Matheny. Well, yeah. it's not super surprising. <laughs> well, well, I know, but it's it's got nothing to do really with what I do on my records, with my True. tone or with my phrasing. You know what I mean? In a way, but um, I'm trying to think of what else I can't. Um, I love George Harrison. Oh, okay. Yeah, like his slide playing is kind of the greatest in a way, you know? Absolutely. So, Pat, tell me about uh, Pat when you first heard Pat Metheny. Was it the playing right away, the tone, or was it the composition that grabbed you? It's a good question. I think, first of all, the reason I'm a professional guitar player is because Pat Metheny. Because when I was... Uh, when I was 15, the, 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 the group came to play in Israel. And that, that was obvious, that changed my life. So once I heard that between the composition and the sounds and the way he played, I was, that's, I was basically going like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's the biggest, biggest one. And then after that, it was the electric band. Okay. But you're talking about also, you're talking about a time where it was mid eighties, maybe 84, 85. And electric band, the first electric band record came out. So that was a huge thing for me. Yeah. Cause I don't think till this day, I think it's one of the greatest records in modern jazz, but, but that was one thing that I wasn't aware of that was existing before, but also the Pep Metheny group, he released Still Life, Still Life Talking. Mm -hmm. And that record is probably his biggest masterpiece for my opinion, especially with the group. And that was another thing where it was, it was such a mix of jazz and everything else and pop really, but in yeah. the perfect kind of combination. And it was at a time when he just played so great in the composition. It was just like, I don't know, it was just like a perfect time where that stuff suddenly appeared and he was like, wow, this is a whole new world, you know? Well, yeah, Pat for me was another one as a blues guy that it was hard for me to grasp because I didn't know what he was playing. But it was instantly yeah. the composition. I could I could yeah. feel it though. It was like, yeah. wow, this is a great song. You know, I don't I don't have yeah. any idea what he's doing, but I really yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's always been it's always, always been the to me the thing yeah. about him that gets me the most is the writing. Sure. And, but, but of course he's incredible. But all right. Everybody's had a different answer to this one, which shocks me. But would you rather have a good amp and a shitty guitar? Or a good guitar and a really shitty amp. Good amp and a shitty guitar. I'm, see, you and me are on the same page here, but most people have been the other way. Ah, really? Yeah, yeah. Holy shit, that's interesting. It's really interesting. A lot of guys have been like, man, I'm just more comfortable when I have a guitar that, that feels great and plays great and is my thing, you know, and I'll make the amp work. And I'm, it's so the opposite for me. You can give me a squire piece of junk yeah. as long as the amp yeah. is okay i'll be comfortable exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how different everybody is on that <laughs> <laughs> that's a crazy 
right. What so what keeps you like motivated to keep getting better and pushing? I'm always curious how guys stay motivated to work. Like for me, that's always an obsession. Like I want to be better tomorrow than today. But I don't know why it happens. It's just like ingrained in me. I work on stuff all the time. What what keeps you going? What keeps you pushing? I think what keeps me going, there's a couple of things. What keeps me going is what keeps us all going. We really love to play. Yeah. I just love to play. I love to play. I like the sound of a guitar and when you plug a guitar in and I just like the whole thing. Like I like it the same as I liked it like 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah. that's what keeps all of us going. Um, Another thing, um, let me think. I think listening to music and wanting to listen to music, listen to the new guys that you don't know, be open to all sort of music, it's endless. So you always want to go, oh, well, maybe I can do this, maybe I can do that, you know what I mean? Um, and then try to just get better at what you do, because, what we do, because I don't know, I always think that I'm just scratching the surface and I pretty much suck at everything i do you know <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well dude it's such a never-ending instrument it's amazing how Never. almost every day an idea will come into my head or into my hands just while i'm playing and it'll be like i've never played that like that oh let me follow this and it happened it happens every day and i've been i've been you know you too i've been playing 35 years now you know it's like yeah yeah and it's still I'll every say, day i'll say one more thing um one thing that inspired me to keep going and developing and stuff was the fact that I've been making records, solo records. So when you're a so when you solo artist, you make solo records, your brain is always kind of thinking about the next thing. Oh yeah. So because of that, I was always able to kind of keep it going and get myself interested in this and in that and all sorts of stuff. To be totally honest, this is the first time in my life now or at least since I moved to New York, that actually in my life that I finished, a re uh, I have a record that's coming out very soon, but I finished, it was supposed to already come out, but because of Corona, they pushed yeah. it. But I finished a record, and since I finished that record, this is the first time that I don't have any plans of doing another one. Like I don't have any idea of what I'm gonna do or anything, which, and this is my 10th album, and before that, every record I've done, I already knew what's going to come next and what I'm going to work on next. So that definitely helped. But now I'm in this kind of weird place, but we all are. So it doesn't matter. I know what you should do next, man. You should come what? record one here in L.A. at my yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. If I had the music, I would, but I don't have any music for it. We need Osnoy's California album. That's what we need. I know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then. Lastly, where would you like to be in five years? Do you have a goal in mind? I'm always wondering, like, the one of the biggest things in my life has been the reshuffling, reimagining of my goals. The things that I thought were important, the ones that I let go by the wayside, and creating new ones down the road for me. Do you have any, any in the mind now that you want to get, any places you, you're reaching for in the next few years? You know, it's weird. Like now with the situation, I don't, it's kind of, it's almost like it's a restart to our brains in a, in a way, you know? Like if you would have asked me that question six months ago, I probably would have a more clear answer, you know? I would say if I could keep doing what I'm doing and make a living out of it and, you know, like do records, do like do session work for people. I always love doing that. 
even touring with other people, if it's good, I love to do that. Like if it's really great stuff, sure. And then I don't have plans to do any of my own records anytime soon, but keep working with my own band. That's pretty much my, that's always been my goal to begin with. So I don't know, yeah. it's kind of like, if that keeps going, then I'm fine. You know what I mean? That is, that's the sign of like, you know, a simple content person. It's like, I, I tell people all the time, what, what would success be for me? Oh, can I just make just enough money to play with two people that I love that really I want to play with and we're all smiling? That's all I want. If I could just have that much money and gigs, I'd be happy. I'd never ask for anything else. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting how it works. <laughs> you know? I was watching a Stevie Ray Vaughan thing on YouTube the other night, and it was one of his last interviews. And he was sitting there with Chris Layton, our mutual friend, and yeah. they're getting interviewed on the news. And it was literally days before he passed. And the interviewer said to both of them, what would be the best thing that can happen in your career now? And, you know, they were both, everybody was clean and they were having, everybody yeah. was in a great mood. Yeah. And they both said without even thinking, just that it keeps going, you know? Yeah, and it was there like, you go. Yeah, that's damn right. That's the right answer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's kind of, you know, when, you know, I live in New York, it's kind of a, maybe it's, a, I don't know if it's more challenging to live in New York than LA, but with what we do with the music business, it's just challenging to begin with. So the fact that I live here, and I have a pretty good life. I'm pretty comfortable and I can keep doing that and not stress out. I'm just yeah. fine with that. I, I got no yeah. problem with that at all. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't mind yeah. getting a place in LA also that I can go back and forth, but that's, you know. That's a good goal, a man. That's a good goal to have. <laughs> yeah, but that's another whole other can of worms. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much uh, for members. We're going to have a little extra video here at the end, the turn two, that if you're a member, you've seen it, where Oz is going to show a lick, I'll show a lick, but you got to be a member to see it, so become a member or subscribe now. But, dude, thank you so much for doing this. Sure. I love you, man. And, uh, yeah, I love you, too. Yeah, so hang on, and we'll do that video. But thanks, everybody.